0: Hey, guys, this is a word Jason Anderson recently brought on obedience using 1 Samuel 15 as his text and underscoring the critical link between obedience and discipleship. I wanted to talk a little bit more on the topic of obedience because I don't think we can learn about it enough because I don't know about you. I'm, I'm just so great at it. I can't learn anything else. Yeah, I'm not. So... So actually, I wanted to start um, reading uh, this verse from Matthew 16, Matthew sixteen twenty four 24 um, through uh, 28, specifically verse 24. Um, when Jesus is interacting with some of his disciples, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. What verse is it? 16.24. Matthew 16.24. Going on in verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So I just want to focus on that, that first verse that we read, 1624. This is how Jesus talks about discipleship. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me or obey me. Those those can be used interchangeably. That's not a concept we like to talk about a lot in church, do we? The obedience, right? What's the dialogue that the world shares about individuals, uh, about us, about our identity, especially in Western culture, I'm thinking specifically. That we need to live life for ourselves. So who's the authority that we must obey? Yourself. yourself. So really there's no obedience, is there? Because if you do whatever you want, you're not obeying anything. You're, you're letting your flesh, your lusts dictate what you do. I like that. I see it. I want it. I'm going to get it. But we weren't, we weren't made like that, were we? We were made to get plugged in differently Mm -hmm. because when we put (laughs) ourselves, yeah, amen. (laughs) When we put ourselves at the middle of the equation, we think life is going to be great, but, but is it? This is an interesting problem to wrestle with then, obedience. Because first you have to recognize the authority, then you have to follow it. Like Jesus told his disciples, if you you have to deny yourselves and follow me. If you want to be my disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. So he kind of gives us some a basic outline of what it means to be a disciple. It starts with denying self. That's saying, I'm not in the center. Mm-hmm. That's saying, I'm, I'm not the one who decides. It's not, yeah. about, me. It's not about me. Think about the, the self-help talk stuff that's out there, though. You, you control your, you make your own decisions, you control choices for your body, you, you can, you can only control yourself, you you know, things like this. We do talk that way. Because I mean, let's, let's think about it. What if Jesus used that standard? He wouldn't have been in the garden saying... Not my will, but your will be done, he would he? He wouldn't have been on the cross no, he wouldn't i seriously, who would choose that, but he did. that's the amazing part okay so so oftentimes as Christians, I think we'll we'll take this and we'll look. For our examples and guidance solely from the New Testament, which that, that, I mean, Jesus is our measuring stick. He is the standard. Ephesians talks about being filled to the full measure, which is Christ, where, where we don't look like us anymore. We look like Him in our thoughts, actions, speech, and behavior. But, I think oftentimes we minimize some of the lessons we can learn from the Old Testament. So we're going to jump into the Old Testament for the body of what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel. So we're going we're gonna to be reading from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. And you're going to need to bear with me because we're going to take a big chunk of this. First, let me, let me preface this. What do you know about Saul? Who is he? Where did he come from? Why, was, why is this significant? Yes. He was tall and very good looking. He was like noble, royal. Israel would have thought Saul met the circumstances for, quote unquote, the perfect king. Okay, good. Yes. It says he stood head and shoulders above others. He was God's anointed king. He was God's anointed king for Israel. Who was leading the country before Solomon? Prophets. The prophets. The priests. Ultimately, it was God. He did it in, a, in a various different ways. Through the judges. Through, through like, prophets and judges, uh, which are intermixed and mingled. Like, Moses was a prophet and judge and, and a priest, too. And then when they got in the promised land, remember Joshua was their leader. And then when Joshua passed away, God kept raising up leaders to lead the people. And that's why we have, you know, the the whole book of Judges, basically. Um, so eventually it got to the point where the people were like looking at the world around them and saying, we want what they've got. Give us a king. So we're going to go to first Samuel now, now that we have some of that in mind about Saul's. We're getting ready to read. Um, This is 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse one. Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not yeah. spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Uh, verse 4 Then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Te'alim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart. Go down from, the, from among the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So, so Saul, acting as God's representative... Can we talk about this last week? Yes, we did. Plenipotentiary? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great word. Plinio <laughs> So, So God through Saul, sifts the people groups. He wants to deal with just the nation of Amalek and not the Kenites who were inter- intermingled. So Saul, he's differentiating. He's he's making a distinction. These people are under God's wrath. These people aren't. Verse seven. So Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret God has regrets. I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul and it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Caramel and behold, he set up a monument for himself then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I've carried out the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest, the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep, and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Okay, so Saul was the anointed authority. So God said, Saul, you act on my behalf. So let's let's just think about that for a minute. Because yes, because God, who was ruling the people, raised someone up and put them in that place of responsibility and released his authority to him. Now that's a position of special trust. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So what was Saul's purpose then as king what what was he supposed to do bingo. bingo 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 so so let's look at what Saul did with this so so let's look at the ways in which he acted did he hear god samuel pretty much said to him didn't you hear the voice of god so so samuel was also and authority. He was God's voice to communicate to the king. So, so who was subject to who in that relationship? Do you think that uh, Saul may have been sharing this kind of mindset with the people? Hey, we don't want to listen to Samuel. We want a king. What indications do we have that he may have been thinking that way? Because he does his own thing here. Oh, maybe because he doesn't follow his directions and he makes up his own? What does he do? Let's, let's look specifically at what he does. Rebellion. Rebellion. Yeah, we can just call it one word. But let, let's look at some specifics. He did not put every person to the sword, did he? He spared the king, Agag. And he, he was bringing him back as a prisoner of war. He did not destroy all of the livestock, did he? He was bringing the choicest back. Yeah. Also, he didn't take responsibility when accused of these things. Oh yes, we're gonna get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> when when Samuel went to look for him, he was told that Saul set up a monument to himself yes. <laughs> at Carmel. Which, which was a remember high points in the Middle East are holy places mm-hmm. so he what well, I it's possible I don't know this for a fact but it's possible that he was claiming equal status with divinity mm-hmm. he set up an altar to himself on a high place okay so we have three distinct things that he did now to top this off He refused to accept the responsibility he had in the situation. So refusing to accept responsibility is part of the rebellious attitude. So Paul was operating with a rebellious spirit. And with that attitude of rebellion came, it's their fault, not mine look god we can break it down to its simplest form we go back to genesis in the garden god made it real easy he created humanity he gave mankind adam and eve he gave them authority on the earth and then he said i just have one rule not 10 commandments not 613 religious laws not two commandments even, just one rule. Don't eat from the tree in the center of the garden. And we saw how that went. We couldn't even get that right. So there is rebellion against the creator in in his creation. And God, there is a time, and God's already worked out the plan. That's what Jesus was all about. First Corinthians uh, 5.19 tells us that, that the Son came to reconcile the world to the Father. So, so Jesus came not just for humanity. He came to reconcile all of creation back to the Creator. To bring it back into a state of obedience. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about the authority of God, His rule, His reign, and that over which He reigns. So, so the question, the question we have to ask ourselves is: Are we going to learn these lessons like King Saul? Are we going to continue to propagate that rebellious spirit? Which, which I'm sorry, it's it's evident that, it's, we, are. It's evident that we we can't escape it from birth. But the hope is. That Christ made a way. That's why he said, "I'm l- listen, I'm, there's going to come a time when I'm not going to be here. So it's going to be, basically he's saying, listen up guys, it's going to be hard to follow me. Because you're not going to see me or hear me. Remember, what do people do? Th- that was a great observation. What do people do when they don't see or hear the thing that they're following? They go, give me a thing to follow. They lose the interest. Mm-hmm. And they make a golden calf. Or they pick a king. Or... They put something there. Jesus said, Okay, I'm getting ready to go away. And it's going to be hard for you. As a matter of fact, some of you are going to forsake me and deny me. Oh no, Lord, let it not be. Thanks, Peter. But when he he rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, he said, "Tarry in Jerusalem, I'm sending a comforter. I'm sending a helper. I'm sending my spirit. So, We can't do it. He must do it for us, through us, in us. And he paid the price to be able to make it possible so that the Spirit of God no longer just rests on us or fills us, but dwells within us. That's why I always go right back to the Great Commission and Jesus reset it. He hit the big reset button and he said, It's this simple. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the way to be a disciple is the way of obedience.